Genesis chapter 39. Very familiar passage of scripture on Joseph. And then we're going to look at the life of David. And then we'll get into it tonight. Are you all there in Genesis chapter 39? All right, go down to verse 6. Glory to God. What a great bunch of baptisms. Baptisms are always great, but that sure was fun. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Genesis chapter 39, verse 6. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. How much did he leave in his care? Everything in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. Wow. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Oh, my goodness. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Why don't you read that part with me? How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? I want you to go now to 2 Samuel. Verse, pardon me, 2 Samuel chapter 12. And find verse 7. 2 Samuel 7. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. And I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. That is a powerful verse of scripture right there. Verse nine. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. And this is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who's close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. Verse 12, final verse. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for this marvelous night. Tremendous night of celebration and exaltation of your great name and your kingdom. Now in the moments that remain in this service, I pray that you'd give us each and every one living understanding. That you'd speak to our hearts so we might never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Praise God. I am, I guess I am shocked. I, I wasn't so much shocked at first, but it just keeps getting broader and wider and deeper. This nonsense, this political perversion that is coming out all over every corner across the aisle. Come on, Republicans, Democrats, and everybody in between. There's all kinds of defilement that's being exposed. Praise God for the abusers are stepping up. Uh, pardon me, the, the victims are stepping up and pointing out abusers. And I'm sure it's not all true, but I'm sure much of it is. 
We have seen a tremendous disgrace in our nation through basically stalkers and those who would take advantage because of their positions of power. And namely, I'm talking about politicians. Now we know that not all politicians are perverted or perverse, but is anybody else just amazed? And we haven't heard the half of it yet, and this is only the stuff that we are hearing. And that there's actually, there's actually a fund to protect politicians who have been accused of sexual crimes. It's a, there's an, and, and actually, you and I pay for it. Did you know that? Did you know that? There, there's a fund. It's, it's, it's put aside to argue their cases. And I'm so thankful for godly representatives. I'm so thankful for, for people that are standing up and living righteously. But I don't know if you've heard this before, a, a politician's perspective Invariably, there's scandals, and there always have been, and I imagine there always will be as long as there are human beings on the planet. But I don't know if you've ever heard, of, I heard a politician say this on, on the news, and they said, don't judge me by my, by my public life. Um, pardon me, don't judge me by my private life. Judge me by my public life. Judge me by my record. Judge me by my decisions. Judge me by that. But don't judge me by my private life. My private life is my own Kuleana, as they say in Hawaii, that, that's, that's private. You can judge me by my, my public life. This message is entitled, Private Decision, Public Display. Private Decision, Public Display. There, there's a smokescreen of psychological babble. And what do you mean by that? Psychological babble, a smokescreen of it. There's many people that are giving rationale for their perverse behavior and for their own moral failures, citing things that happened to them in their life or they weren't, you know, they were bottle fed as, as opposed to being breastfed. They were, they were dropped in their head. Are, are you poking fun? A little bit because there are wounds and there are things that happen in our families and even as we grow up that can cause deep scarring. And, and we need to be healed from those. They're absolutely right. But the truth is that each and every one of us here, under the sound of my voice, every single human being has what is called the glory of man. That's what theologians call it. The glory of man is your ability to choose free will. You have a choice. So even though you might have an, a case or an argument about how you've gone through abuse. And if you have, I'm so sorry, but Jesus can heal you. Still, because of the abuse and the difficulty that you may have been through, you will still be held accountable. Just you. Oh, th th those, th those that perpetrated, they'll be held accountable too. But you will be held accountable for your actions alone. Just you on that day, that great and dreadful day where we have to give an account for all of our works. Psychology can be wonderful and then it can bring healing. And, and, and reveal some of the roots and, and the reasons for the feelings and sadness and, and depression. And it can really be used especially, I believe, when, when brought together with Christian truth and the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus. I think aside from that, and I've been through my fair share, aside from the power of Christ, it can reveal to you what's wrong. It can show you some of the different difficulties and things that happen and bring understanding. But without the power of the resurrection, without forgiveness, without the blood, there's no power to get through that. There's no power to be healed. So I do believe in psychology and Christian psychology. It just needs to be done right. And I do believe it's a dangerous also. 
because I've known people that have gotten treatment or gotten counsel from psychologists and really you're only getting the level of treatment or counsel that, that they have to offer. In other words, if they're broken or they're dysfunctional, you might end up getting some of that yourself. Hello. Now there's many people that are embracing the psychological smokescreen to give rationale for their behavior. The truth is, is that your private life will work out as a public display every single time. You say, well, it's my life and I can do what I want. Yeah, it's your life and you can do what you want to if you're not saved. If you've given your life to Jesus, your life no longer belongs to you. It actually belongs to him. And so we're going to look at this. We're going to look at these two giants in scripture who make a private decision that ends up in a public display. One had, one had nothing. One was a slave. His name is Joseph. We just preached a whole series on Joseph just over this past year. really touched and affected my life. So the one had was a slave. He had nothing. And yet he made a decision to live for God, made a decision to do the right thing when nobody would have found out necessarily. It was just him and, and, and that harlot, the, the wife of, of Potiphar. And, and he might well have gotten away with it, but he said, I cannot do this sin against God. And then you, have, then you have King David, the shepherd boy that becomes king, and he has everything. He has the priesthood. He has the, the tabernacle. He has the, the ark. He has, he has everything. Uh, you know, I mean, he didn't have the, the, the power of the spirit like we do. But I mean, he had just about everything. He's a king. He, he's, he's got wives. And I mean, he's just so blessed. He's got money. He's got all this. And yet he throws it away to commit adultery with Uriah's wife. Let's, let's look at the notes here. A look at Joseph and David. Joseph, he lost his mom in death, but loved by his father. Dysfunctional family for sure. Don't raise your hand if you came from a dysfunctional family. We all have, praise God. If you're, if you're born, your family's dysfunctional to some degree or another. Welcome to the human race. He's hated by his brothers. His brothers hate him. And in fact, plot to kill him. He's sold into slavery in this plot. He's thrown into a pit, which some have called profit in training. You might find yourself in a pit. It's just training. Sold into slavery by his brothers. He's elevated by God. In fact, if you look at the text as we spoke about in that series, God was with Joseph. And because God was with Joseph, he's elevated in everything that happens. He's elevated. And so he's elevated by God to be his master's personal assistant. In fact, I love that text. I have to talk about it just for a second. When he, when he comes into Potiphar's house, Potiphar begins to notice that everything Joseph touches prospers. All the crops begin to grow. Everything begins to prosper. And it seems like there's rain everywhere else, but where there's, where there's Joseph, there's, there's sunshine on a cloudy day. I got sunshine on a cloudy day. When it's cold outside, I've got the, yeah, gee, got Joseph. God was with Joseph, and that's why he had sunshine on a cloudy day. And he elevates Joseph because he sees the favor. He sees the anointing on him. Joseph didn't really even have the word all that much. I mean, he had the faith of his father, and he was trained and taught by his dad before he was sold into slavery. His master's wife intends to commit adultery with him. And look at six. He chooses to not to dishonor God. Now, we've been doing a series on, on honor, developing a culture of honor. 
We've been talking about our homes and how we need to teach our kids to honor. We're talking about honor in marriage, honor in our community, honor in the church. We talked about uh, prayer is the habit that honors God. And, and so now your private decision, public display, is it honoring God or not? Are your private decisions honoring God? Well, he ends up in jail, but he chose not to dishonor the Lord. And you know the rest of that story. He's greatly elevated, becomes the second in command of the strongest nation in the world. David, on the other hand, a shepherd who, because of God's choosing him, becomes king. He has everything he could ever want it. He chooses to dishonor God by committing adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of one of his mighty men. How many of you know what I'm talking about? His mighty men. He had a band of brothers, mighty men that were with him. He was one of those guys. What a dirtbag. Lust, lust will blind you. Lust will get a hold of you and rob from you, steal from you, kill from you. Come on, lust will destroy your life and it'll be passed down even to the next generation as it is with Solomon. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But he chooses to dishonor God and commit adultery. And Bathsheba becomes pregnant because David is afraid of his sins will be found out he goes ahead and he not only commits adultery, he kills the husband because he's afraid he's going to be busted. What's the result of their decisions? Well, very simply, the result of their decisions, private decision, open or public display. Joseph, in the life of Joseph, God blessed him even in jail. Even in jail, he's, he's blessed and he's elevated. Even in the hard times, he's elevated. God opened an opportunity for him to become the vice regent of Egypt, the second in command, because he was faithful to the Lord. Amen. David, on the other hand, David and Bathsheba lost their firstborn child. And he lost his moral ground. What do you mean by that? I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but I have. I've, I've known people that have lived with pet sins and held on to it. And because of their pet sin, they have a tolerance for their own children doing the very same thing. Maybe at a smaller level. They're not willing to discipline it because they know in their life they got the same thing. And so they just sort of placate it. David, David lost his moral ground because of his sin. He didn't have the, the gumption and the wherewithal to, to rebuke his son Ammon when he failed. And because of his guilt, and you know, the son Absalom re rebels against him along with others. And Absalom commits adultery with David's wives for all to see. He set up a tent. I mean, the prophetic word of Nathan, what this prophet, my gosh, amazing. What a, what a moment in scripture because the king could have been like, Take his head off. Just, just kill him. And let's move on. No, he listened to the prophet. He listened. He says, thou art the man, after he tells him this story about how a man who had lots of sheep comes and takes one man who had only one sheep. He tells him this whole story. And David, David says, we should kill the man. And he says, you're the man. Can you imagine that moment? David repented, which is a beautiful thing. Now, our, our, our sin, now, don't, don't ever forget this, that your private decision shapes your destiny. Let me say that again. Your private decisions every single day will shape your destiny for you, your family, your marriage, your church, your community. Your private decisions every day that maybe only you and God know about and know for sure God knows about it and know also that the devil knows about every decision you're making too. Your private decisions will shape your destiny. And we see our sin does two things. And you need to understand this. Sin does two things. You see, because there's many that are even, he, he, listening to the same, well, it doesn't really matter because I, I, I can do what I want to. 
And I'm not really hurting anybody as I sit in front of my screen, getting up in the middle of the night to get in front of your screen while your wife is sleeping so that you can look at. And you say, well, it doesn't really matter because nobody knows. Oh, no, the devil knows. And it's like opening a cesspool to your own heart, a cesspool to your home, and it's beginning to flood your house even with demon power very possibly. Sin breaks our relationship with God. Number one, sin breaks your relationship with God. So that's a problem. If you're sinning, you're breaking your relationship with God. What about the blood of Jesus? Yes, the blood of Jesus. Yes. Yes, it's applied as you repent. And I don't mean worldly repentance. Worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow brings life. What's godly sorrow? True repentance, where you turn from that wicked thing and you go towards God and you ask him to forgive you and you set your life up so that you don't go go back. You repent, rethink, you rethink it. I'm not doing this anymore. And you head the other way and you ask God to wash you, to cleanse you. You know, the problem with the sloppy agape movement, the neo-Calvinist movement, the hyper grace movement, which is prevalent throughout the lower 48 and trying to screech its gangrenous way into Alaska, understand that anybody that teaches you anything about the grace of God that allows you to compromise and allow you to get, a more, get away with more before the Lord and be okay is not from God. Grace should empower you and infuse you with strength and power to live like Jesus, not in compromise. So any message on grace that says you can just do whatever you want to is not a true message from the Lord. Those are false teachers that are teaching that. And, and sin will break your relationship with God. It paves the way. What a, what a picture. It paves the way for evil to affect our world and to affect your life. Highway to hell. Yeah, that's right. You're paving the way. You're sin. Come on, all you former rockers know the song, I think. What kind of prophetic song would that be? I'm on the highway to hell. I suggest you take an exit and get off. That's a highway you don't want to be on. But your sin, our sin, our sin will pave a highway to the enemy. The devil, I love Dr. Morocco says it this way. It's just emblazoned on my heart. The devil's power is parasitical. He's a parasite. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've ever had lice. Lice are parasites. I don't have much of a lice problem. Alaskans, you know, I think they freeze in the winter. I don't, I don't know what happens, but how many of you know lice has to have a host? A parasite has to have a host. The devil's power is parasitical. Say it. The devil's power is parasitical. So if you allow him to have entrance into your life, then you're giving him rights. He's the most legalistic entity in all. So he looks for an opportunity to have rights to you. And when you sin, when you do that thing in the middle of the night, when you begin to pave the highway to hell, it's giving him entrance. He said, well, nobody knows I'm doing my sin. I can do this. Come on. God knows my heart. You ever heard that nonsense? Well, God knows my heart. Yeah, he knows your heart. It's deceitfully wicked above all else. Just follow your heart. Don't do that. That is bad advice. Come on, he said, don't do it. Say it. Don't do it. Just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. It'll lead you straight to the pit. Now, the devil, the devil is parasitical. And when we dishonor God and our private decisions that you think nobody can know, the devil knows, and it opens a door for the enemy. Come on, if there, was, if there was attackers outside your house, would you unbolt the door and open and let them in? No, but that's exactly what sin does. 
It's exactly what it does. It opens the door for the enemy to come rushing in. And you say, well, it's just me. What if I just want my demons? Well, it never is that way. No, no, no. The, the devil takes far more than, than, than you would think. He, he begins to have rights to your marriage. He has rights to your children. He, he begins to encroach and he takes you deeper. Sin will take you deeper, longer, wider, and further than you ever wanted to go. Your private decision will end up in your, in your public destiny being released. Got to choose life. Everybody say choose life. Yeah, I'm going to share this story. It has, uh, did not happen in Alaska, didn't happen in Hawaii, didn't happen in our church. Okay, somebody say hallelujah. A youth pastor, a number of years ago, fell into sin, fell into sin. I don't even like saying it that way. Chose to actually, it was a female, chose to fornicate with an underage boy in the youth group. And when the family found out, they, of course, knowing the boy was underage, decided to sue. And because the youth pastor, of course, was part of the pastoral staff of that large church at that time, sued the church because of what took place, and rightfully so, right? And they not only sued, but they won. And it destroyed the church. It, first of all, the youth, the youth pastor was female. She was single. If she was married, it destroyed her marriage. And you see this in the news. There's all kinds of teachers that are doing this very thing. And I'm going to tell you, there's more to come. But I'm trying to help you to understand, to honor God. And your private decisions will become a public display. So think about the next thing that you're about to do that you think you can get away with. And you ought to ask, hmm, hmm, is this going to honor God? Does my decision right now honor God or not? And if it doesn't, I would suggest you... Don't do it. Everybody say, don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, what happened is the church ended up uh, really um, becoming a very small church and then eventually closed. You say, what about repentance? Yeah, praise God for that. God forgives. Come on, somebody say, God forgives. God forgives, but you must overcome evil with good. If we repent, if we, if we repent, we ask God to forgive us, then he will forgive you. But here's the thing about this. Here's the thing about when you make, when you fail, and there is hope for the fallen, which is the next point. When you fail, it's like, it's like walking off a cliff and you find yourself at the bottom of the cliff and you find yourself now by the grace of God, the gift of repentance is granted to you realize the horrible thing that you may have done. And, and so then you repent, you say, oh God, forgive me for this reason you were crucified. And you ask him to come in your heart to be your Lord and savior. You're still at the bottom of the cliff. You're forgiven by God, but you still have consequences. And you're still going to have to really work it out and walk it out in a way that most people don't. And you have to walk it out and work it out till you find yourself back in a place of freedom. And many times, now instantly you're forgiven by, by the blood of Jesus. Come on, somebody say it's instant. But the enemy will try to come and reopen those doors. And there can be a residue of, of that. And you have to work it through. You've got to keep the door shut. I remember Dr. Morocco sharing uh, with a young man who said, uh, as I was there, and he was talking about how many of the things that are his difficulties that he struggles with are, are a blessing because he doesn't struggle with the other things because he never opened the doors. You see, if you open the door to the enemy in perversion, then you're going to have to keep that thing shut. You're going to have to declare it shut. And you got to make sure you take every thought captive and make no provision for the flesh with regards to its lust. you got to put on the Lord Jesus Christ every day. Live for him. you got to set your life up. 
Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, well, people that haven't gone down that road don't know that temptation. They don't know about that door. They've never opened that door, thank God. But if you have opened it and you've repented, sure, you're forgiven, but now you have to keep it closed and you have to, you have to gird your loins for action. You have to take your thoughts captive and make them obedient. Come on, somebody say amen. And there's a renewing and a healing, and I will tell you, David repented. But look at the horror that came down his family line. Yeah, God forgives, but we've got to overcome evil with good. And don't allow the psycho babble to fill your mind so you can rationalize away your sin. There's hope for the fallen, really. And David, he, he repents. And he, even though his son dies, but they have another son. And his name, does anybody know? Solomon. And Solomon was considered the wisest man ever. And yet he had a spirit of stupid in his later days. A spirit of what? A spirit of stupid. A special kind of stupid. You know, it says in, in 2 Kings 17, 15 and following also in Chronicles, it's recorded. Solomon was the son of David. David paid for the temple, but Solomon built it. And they said the glory of that temple was, uh, was unprecedented. And there was peace all around. And there's two columns that were built. And you can look at, at 2 Kings 7 and see these two columns. One is Yaquin, it's called Yaquin, and the other one is called Boaz. Yaquin is, is God will establish, that's what that means, Yaquin. And the other one is Boaz, which is by his strength. So the two columns, they were Phoenician most likely in design. They, they, many scholars believe that they had nothing to do with the actual design of the temple in structural design, that is. But they stood freestanding columns. The tops are recorded in scripture to be made uh, and, and inscribed with all kinds of beautiful inscription and pomegranates. And it's just tremendously ornate. Many believe that they had actually oil in tops on the tops of those columns and they would burn at night these flames that you would see from the Kidron Valley and beyond. You could see these two flames of fire coming at the temple. What a sight that would be. Yaquin and Boaz, God will establish by his strength. And that's the truth for the kingdom. It's the truth for you and me. God will establish your life by his strength. But you know something about Solomon is he must have taken a side entrance because later in his life he forgot that God is the one that established him. I don't know what happened to him, but I think for sure, certainly, it is generational sin that was passed down. For the lust of his father was passed down to him and that he married a thousand wives. One thousand. What kind of a... You know, lust is never satisfied. I've known people that say, well, I need to get married because I've got a lust problem. Your marriage won't cure that. Oh, it, it, it might put it off a little bit, but then, then it'll just grow. It'll just grow. You got you to kill it. You got to deal with lust. You got to deal with greed. You got to deal with that stuff. And, and just get, getting married isn't going to solve your lust problem, ma'am, sir. Hallelujah. We can avoid evil. Look at your notes by asking this question. Worship team, would you come? By asking this question. Is what you're about to do, is it honor God? Is what you're about to do, does it honor God? I had a decision this afternoon. Come on, I got hot under the collar. I got irritated. Anybody ever get irritated besides me? Don't lie. Liars go to hell. Raise your hand. You ever got irritated? All right. Might you ever get angry? You know, I, and I just wanted to take, I just wanted to deal with something. 
But you know, I, I, I've learned, my wife certainly helps me. Thank you, Jesus. You know, you can learn to be controlling and, and try to knuckle something down, or you can let the Lord sort it out, and you have to discern which one you should do. And I'm found in this case, oh, I just need to let go and let God. I'm, what I'm about to do is not going to honor God. Is what you're about to do going to honor God? Come on. Illustration. So you and your husband are not going so well. He's not really sensitive to you. He's not listening to you much. You feel at odds. You've asked him to fix some things around the house and he's really not on top of that. He's mostly in a screen or reading a newspaper or on the internet. He's working hard, but you're just sort of drifting apart. And, and there's, a, there's a man at work who you've been talking to, good looking, well-built, like Joseph maybe. And he's listening. He, he listens to you. And he's got compassion. Your husband, not so much. But th th this guy, he, he, he listens. He's, he's got compassion. And you've been eating lunch together at the, at the, in the lunchroom, lunch break. You know, there's other people there, but you're sharing together. You, you swap sandwiches and salads. And, you know, I mean, just you're finding yourself as you go to work. Now, listen, this could flip for the guy. You just flip, flip rolls. It's an illustration. Uh, it, it's a sad illustration that I've seen happen over and over and over and over. So, the, you know, you're sharing salads and then you're finding as you're driving to work, you begin to, you begin to get excited about, you know, you're going to see him. So, you know, you, you dress a little bit sharper. You, you, you just pay a little bit more attention to your makeup that morning. You, you fix your hair just, to, just a little bit more. And before you know it, your heart's actually racing just a little bit as you come to see him. And as soon as you see him, boom, you know, you light up a little bit and you can feel it. You're falling in love. No, you're not. Everybody say, no, you're not. No, no, you're not. No, you're, you're falling for the trap. How do we know what love is? Love, love, love is crucified. That's how we know what love is. And. He said, well, what do, what do I do about that? You, you got to get a hold of that. You, you got to get healing in your marriage. Amen. And so things begin to set up and, you know, you're going to go maybe after work and go have a beer. Go drink a glass of wine together and then head home. Ask God, ask yourself this question. Is what you're about to do honor God? Does it honor your husband or your wife? Is what you're about to do honor God's kingdom? Does it honor your children? Is what you're about to do, does it, does it bring honor or doesn't it? For children, for youth, your decisions that you make. You listening, fellas? Good. The decision, come on, we got kids in here. It's family night. The choices that you make, is it going to honor God? Is it going to honor mom and dad or not? Is what you're about to do honor God? Now, you've got to understand this. If it doesn't, then don't do it. If you think it's just you, it's not just you. I have been in my office and sat with people who have destroyed their lives because of lust. They didn't deal with it. 
They allowed for that pornography. They allowed for that thing. They allowed for their little pet sin to work its way into their heart. And before they know it, they were confused. And, and before they know it, they started exchanging the affections they should have for their wife or their husband for another. And before you knew it, they were beginning to drift down a path that would destroy their entire life, their entire ministry, their business. If what is what you're about to do, does it honor God? You know, what would Jesus do? You remember those bracelets? You know, somebody with a lust problem, you got to get healed of that thing. I'm not looking at anybody. I'm looking at the back of the church. So if you feel like I'm looking at you, that's the Holy Spirit. Come on, smile at me. Come on, talk to the neighbor next to you. I don't know who he's talking to. Come on. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know who he's talking to. Is what you're about to do honor God? Your private decisions will end up in public display. That what you do in secret will be shouted from the rooftops, Jesus said. So you and I, we should make decisions that honor God. And the politicians, let me just tell you, a politician whose private life is perverse will be perverse in his public life every time. Oh, it might be I'm some psycho smokescreen babble nonsense. As for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. Come on, will this make God look good? To quote Dr. Morocco. Is this going to make God look good? What I'm about to do, is that going to make God look good? Uh, no. Well, then maybe you shouldn't do it. How about, how about when you're sitting at your screen, can you imagine the entire congregation coming behind you and looking at what you're looking at? Will that work? Will that be okay? I, 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 know, I know a story of a, a, a godly mother who took her whole family to go see a movie. They saved up money. It was years and years and years ago. And they saved up money to go see a movie. And as they're sitting in the movie, the mother grabs the children and says out loud, Oh God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Jesus. Tells everybody to stand up. We're leaving. And they walk right out of the movie. And she said to this children, she said to her children, she said, Jesus lives on the inside of us and he doesn't want to see any of that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we would just think like that? Will this honor God or not? No, it won't. Don't do it. It's pretty simple. Come on, say this. Will this honor God? Say this. Will this decision honor God? And if the answer is no, don't do it. Because your private decisions will determine your destiny. Your prayer life, your sacrifice, the way that you give, the way you turn the other cheek, everything. God sees everything. And he wants to reward you, even as he rewarded Joseph. Oh, yeah, David was king still. And yes, down the, it brings hope to us because through the lineage of David comes the Messiah. But what a horrible thing to see the destruction of his family because of his undealt with sin. Did you get something? Come on, stand up on your feet all across this place.